is like Scientology before there was Scientology. <laughs> it, it, it totally fucks your head up. Well, it like, keeps it, you blocked out. It's not really mine, I think. You know, I just get to hold it comes in and I hold it for like a week and then I just right. push it on over to the student loan office. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just babysit it in the interim. That right. and, and, and the cost of living in New York is I mean Los Angeles isn't far behind. Give it a few years and it'll be just as bad here. But for now, New York is more expensive than LA. Isn't it nice though that you get like a week to like look at and hold and sort of like kiss your money before you have to hand it off to somebody else? <laughs> yeah, it's it's nice like a starving dog gets to look at a steak before it's ripped away from its <laughs> <laughs> um, All right. So, um let's yeah, get rolling, I guess. Yeah, let's let's yeah, do let's an do introduction. It. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> All right. Welcome, everybody, to Struggle Session. I am one of your hosts, Jonathan Daniel Brown. I'm Jack Allison. I'm Leslie the Third. And today we have a very, very special guest with us. Uh, you can see her recent work in current affairs. You can find her on Twitter at uh, A Black Populist. Or, no, your Bree Bree Joy. Yes, that's right. <laughs> A black populist is the title on the your, display name, right? The display name on your uh, at Bree Bree Joy B R E I. So please welcome uh, Brianna Joy Gray or did, Gray Joy. <laughs> gray Joy, are you a Gray Joy? Are you a Gray Joy? <laughs> that is not the first time that's happened to me on a podcast. Believe it or not, <laughs> it's all the Game of Thrones. It's right. terrible. You're you're Euron, right? Or do you, oh, you stand I, with Euron or I, uh, Yara? I'm obviously a Yara. Come on now. <laughs> Um, well, thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Uh, should be a good time uh, when, here on the podcast. Here on the <laughs> yeah. struggle session. It's a struggle session. So, Bree, you're um, a host of uh, someone, uh, Someone's Wrong on the Internet, which I feel is a feeling that everyone listening to the show has probably had and has spent late nights arguing <laughs> for no reason whatsoever just because one human being who they have no connection to has been wrong on the internet. So <laughs> uh, tell me where is that, why you got the title and just what your show is about. Yeah, that I, I was that person, particularly in the era of Gawker, <laughs> less so now that mm. I'm limited to Jezebel, but I was, I was that person who I would be on a date and I would explain what I was doing with my day or what I had done earlier in my day. And I would be like, yeah, well, I was just having this debate with someone and, and my date would say who? And I was like, I don't know, just like this woman on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> which may or may not have uh, explained my single uh, dry face there but yeah that that was me like i couldn't let it go and it, it really became exacerbated in the course of uh the primary season when uh certain lines uh battle lines which have been very um regularly drawn now that we're all very familiar with the idea that um you know identity politics has kind of taken hold and bernie made me white and um you know i you know the idea of a black woman um uh, having progressive ideals and siding with Sanders was completely anathema. It became really important to me to have more of a platform for my ideas than just shouting into the void that was the Gawker comment section. So a friend of mine decided to start a podcast in which we talked about po politics and pop culture with a leftist perspective um, and to to really use the intimacy of our, our very long and close friendship to be able to talk about things that are kind of verboten 
uh, among liberals at large, you know, really unpacking things like, you know, rape culture and, you know, practically speaking, how do we, you know, how do we manage reintegrating rapists into society if we believe as progressives in, you know, not marking somebody with a t- taboo of being an ex-con for the rest of their lives, you know, like, and we'll talk about it in the context of The Bachelorette. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh please please so um yeah I, if, if i remember that um controversy so that so the bachelorette there was apparently a sexual assault on the show which is not the first time that that's happened on a reality tv show which yeah. i think should be um kind of a hint about how terrible those shows are for humanity in general yeah, and also a good indicator of where we are uh, as a society, that uh, yeah. we just want to watch uh, people, uh, uh, you know, kill each other on television. And- did, I, did I never tell you guys how I bullshitted my way onto one of those when I was 18? What? what? Yeah. No, I totally, like, I got, to, I was very bored. I was in community college, as most of my, like, awful teen stories go, and I found a Craigslist ad for, like, a dating show, and I, like made up like an absurd backstory and they cast me and the the channel it's on it doesn't even exist anymore it was called fox reality <laughs> and it was like a, a dating show called seducing cindy where we it was like some random model who was big in the 90s and it was like a rented mansion and i just ate craft services till they like sent me home it was fun were you on there <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, nobody saw it. I mean, I'm sure it's around somewhere. I've done tons of embarrassing shit, though. But, like, the reality world is really interesting because they definitely – they get – these cast members fucked up, yeah. like yeah. consistently. No, I mean, I, I so so. Where do you stand? What, what, what's your take on that? Because uh, uh, it does to me seem like Bachelor uh, uh, should probably be like culpable for that. <laughs> and yeah. it's insane to me that this episode, this season of television, is just airing now, and everyone seems to be like okay with it. Well, they literally, I mean, they just take random people and get them fucked up in like yeah. a, on an island or a hotel or a mansion, and they put them in like a hot. They just they just kind of film everything. And put it all in post. It's fucked up. Like, yeah, the, all of these things are like sort of uh, disasters waiting to happen. I mean, I, I'm shocked at the rarity of the reports of, of <laughs> in, inappropriate behaviors on these shows because it seems to be pretty much the norm where you yeah. just get a ton of like people you, that you cast just completely wasted. Yeah, and get them to try to hump each other. Yeah, I think to the extent that there was any culpability in this case, it was the producers, right, for putting them in that situation. Yeah. But what made this this particular scenario so interesting was, one, the the woman involved is not the one that made the claim of sexual assault, right? She woke up the next mm. day, and as far as she understood, nothing had happened. It was a producer who was editing the footage days later who said that they saw something that they thought was untoward and that they should shut and recommended that they shut production down. Then there was this whole like two or three weeks of limbo where we knew that production was shut down. The woman couldn't say anything about what did or did not happen, but her release this press release that basically heavily implied that something had happened, you know, that said, oh, the worst thing that could happen to a woman might have happened and it would be horrible if that had happened. There were all these conditional statements, right? Meanwhile, the guy is fired from his job. Um, and is generally, you know, assumed to have done something really bad. Then two right. weeks, three yeah. weeks pass, and it turns out there's no finding of wrongdoing, no criminal finding of wrongdoing. The whole thing's on tape, so I'm, I'm inclined to believe it. And now the show has continued filming, and the woman and the man are chummy and, like, have their arms around each other in these press releases. Oh. 
And there's an added subtext of, all, of the racial dynamic because the man was black, the woman was white. They both have very interesting huh. his, uh, histories from the respective reality shows that they came from to be on this, you know, kind of a um, secondary reality show, right? This is one of the feeder shows that takes the cast off from The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and puts them together to screw in an yeah. island. So, so there's all this yeah, going sex on. island, I think it's called. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how does a producer make a call that that uh, I guess that there was no consent when the when nobody in, involved in the actual sexual act claims that there's anything wrong? I don't know, exactly. JDB, but when it comes to situations like that, I believe producers. You know, uh, uh, <laughs> what you have to do is you have to believe producers. <laughs> You know, I uh, JDB, um, not to blow up your spot, but I Googled the show you were talking about, Seducing Cindy, and yeah. the woman was Cindy Margolis, right? Yeah. yeah. I think I mean, every, bo- every boy of a certain age is familiar with. And I just – it has a list of all the guys on there and their jobs. Like one is a male model. One is a uh, Texan. One is yeah. a former class president. My Yours favorite is- guy was the Tupac impersonator. Yeah, Tupac impersonator. <laughs> Yours is graphic novel reader. <laughs> that's pretty accurate actually yeah, that's uh that that career became a career of a lifetime yeah. <laughs> um well don't talk shit about cindy margolis no she's on the dope podcast. don't get me wrong i wasn't talking shit i was talking about how like the the show was ridiculous everyone can agree about yeah it. I, I, I used to work for a uh, uh, duck dynasty for a long time uh well not for a long time but i i, I used to write this the actual scripts for duck dynasty <laughs> <laughs> was that like WGA or is it pre? No, it was yeah, like yeah. I was a consultant or whatever. But I, I would write like full thirty-page long scripts uh, uh, of Duck Dynasty. So, yeah. anyways, Th- that's how they get around unionizing. <laughs> by the way, they're all story producers. Yeah. Okay, all right. Anyway. All right. So, uh, Bree, so you are you you have a great podcast. You also are a very um, great um, writer, and I'm kind of actually embarrassed that I've been reduced to this just this lowly podcast with these two, you know, actor prima donnas. I used to. I used hey, to, I'm not an I, actor. I, I, used to, I used to write I stuff. Used Rub and <laughs> <laughs> but you got this uh, two re- uh, uh, two really great articles at uh, Current Affairs. But the one I want to talk to you about is the one that kind of um, feeds into. To what you were talking about with your show about identity politics and and your the title of the article is how identity became a weapon against the left so go ahead and uh, mm. speak on um what brought uh what made you write that article uh so what made me write the article was literally being misidentified uh racially and sexually on twitter uh by people who couldn't seem to reconcile the idea of a a black leftist um Mm. on more than one occasion i was told that i couldn't be black um and i when it was (laughs) one on one occasion somebody (laughs) said hey this woman has a vlog this this is video of her the retort was uh well she must have been raised by white parents <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> oh, so God. I've been trying to write some version of this article for basically since the last fall, and it was really the um, response to criticisms of Kamala Harris that put a fine enough point on it for me to really um, concretize my thoughts. Uh, so you know, as you're aware, it, uh, there was a, a couple of weeks ago now there were all, there was all this media buzz about how Kamala Harris was the next best thing, um, and right. these articles largely heralded her um, because of her both both her record of accomplishment and her race and good looks 
And there was a, yeah. like a, another wave of criticism, you know, in response to all of those accolades that pointed out that she had a lot of the same failings that tanked Hillary Clinton, that she was a- Right. Pro- so that's when all the Bernie bros were uh, unfairly targeting her because she's a woman, right? <laughs> right. And there was this well, she's policy She's a woman police. She's a woman- <laughs> Right. Yes. A woman cop. Yeah, as we all know, uh, the center just wants more women cops. <laughs> more women judges. Yeah. More yeah. women cops. Yeah, more. Uh, yes, yeah. so sorry. Keep going. So, so uh, you know, in response to a Policy Mike article that was, you know, basically articulating what leftist criticism was, the blowback from the likes of Joy Ann Reed and Neera Tannen was, you know, how dare all these Bernie bros have these opinions? They only could feel this way because they're privileged men white men living in their parents' basement, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I like their parents are probably white. Oh my how like, like I don't know how Joanne Reed Yeah, like yours. I don't know how Joanne Reed and Nara Tendon can keep doing this. Like how like the consistency and stamina and the level of self delusion and also like just the lack of empathy. Like the the amount of people they erase with this bullshit scheme that yeah. I guess Hillary Clinton now seems to be using herself and well, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. that That's another later. segment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think we'll the answer to that, to that, that is, is performative whiteness. I, 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 or performative wokeness, mm. rather. I think that the reason yeah. why yeah. this this really gets a lot of traction is because it, Joanne Reed isn't necessarily speaking to a throng of black people, right? She's on MSNBC speaking to a lot of quote-unquote concerned white liberals who think that they're doing the done thing by, by you know, wringing their hands about how horrible racist bros are, right? And they'll point to racism mm-hmm. wherever it is to kind of justify a, a, their own um, woke identity. So when someone appears who shares the criticism of the so-called white Bernie bro who can't be so easily dismissed, it causes a glitch in the matrix and people don't know what to do with it. <laughs> right. You know, I, I think a large part of why my article got traction is simply because of my own identity, uh, ironically. And that's part of why I felt a responsibility, frankly, to write it. Because Ryan Cooper, mm. who, who made very similar points in an article in the week um, about a week before mine came out you know was torn to shreds on Twitter apparently by critics who just accused him of being racist and 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 saying that he po- just couldn't possibly care about um, the needs of the black community and minority communities and, and women uh, based on nothing other than his own demographics so right. what you're saying is that you're actually a hypocrite because you use your identity <laughs> to gain traction for your article to tear down another strong black woman. I gotcha. I, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's really the the crux of this thing, right? Is that there? As much as people love to say, "Oh, black people aren't a monolith," they like to turn around and treat us monolithically. So you know, one of the points that I make in the article is that everybody loves to talk about how oh, Hillary Clinton wasn't wrong for the crime bill because two-thirds of the Con- Congressional Black Caucus also supported it. And my question is always, well, what, the, what about the other third? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. You know, they were right. There was, there was one-third of that group who had good judgment and a right and the correct opinion back then. In hindsight, 2020 and all that, I'm not saying, you know. But the, the point of the matter is you can't say it was the, the blackness is some kind of um, canary in a coal mine or some, like, guarantee of being on the political the correct political side of any equation. Black people are also human and fallible and make mistakes. And as much as saying that, you know, undermines my ability to become the next Oprah, I mean, I just got to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that's that's the strange sort of racism 
of that liberal way of thinking about people that they meet. It, it, the, the performative wokeness basically, yeah, it, it treats black people, brown people, anybody who's not like them as a monolith. Like the Borg or something, as if, (laughs) I mean, you know, all you have to do is, I mean, actually talk to somebody and realize that that this, you know, whatever you're assuming they're thinking is probably what you're watching on TV. And that's the, that's what frustrates me about people like Joanne Reed is like, I do feel like she actually perpetuates the myth of like, this is the position you know, black people must take, or this is the position POC must take. I don't think that's fair. I think that puts a lot of pressure on people. Uh, when I was volunteering for the Sanders campaign, I mean, the, the majority of the people on the volunteer team I worked with were Hispanic women. And so I would constantly read about Bernie bros. And it was like, well, none of these people here are bros. I'm the only bro here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I think when people talk about Bernie bros, uh, um, there is one and you are it. Yeah. You're the one. I guess so. <laughs> I wish I was wearing a backwards baseball cap. Right <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing about it too is like even in a world where 99.9% of Sanders supporters were white, if in that world Sanders' political positions were also progressive and the better political positions for people of color and for women and for minority religious groups and what have you – then he wouldn't be wrong just by virtue of, you know, the demographics of his followers. Now, of course, like, there are, um, you know, trends that are, you know, kind of written broadly, right? Like, pe- people of color tend not to go for presidents who, let's say, you know, categorically dismiss uh, Mexicans as the likely <laughs> rapist. You know, there's, 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 there's <laughs> things that there, you can you can – it is suspicious at a certain point when no one of a certain demographic group or like large majorities don't like you. But there was there was nowhere near that kind of a large majority, and people were confusing the kind of um, demographic demographic read you can get in a primary versus the one you can get in a general right. election. Where yeah. people were saying, "Well, most black people voted for Hillary in a primary, therefore that means Bernie must be racist." No, no, no. That's the only the logic <laughs> that that follows if you're in a general election with a Republican party that trades on racism. <laughs> like in a, yes, in, yeah. in a primary, I had people, intelligent people that I went to law school with, arguing with me on the internet that to vote to to support Sanders was to literally using like verbatim words to disenfranchise the black voters that voted for Hillary. Oh, so Mm. of course, by that logic, um, voting for Obama after, you know, when he started turning around would have been disenfranchising all the black voters who supported Hillary during the first round of primaries back in 2008. And all those women. yeah, yeah right. exactly. It's, it's very sexist and very racist to support Barack Obama. <laughs> why, why would you do that to women? Well, 25% of them ended up voting for McCain. Right. They, uh, I, I was going to say that everyone probably would have ended up voting for Bernie in the general anyway because, uh, you know, you get shame uh, because you're you're supposed to shame people into voting for the Democratic candidate, uh, you know, right? Like, right. wouldn't we have been mean to people enough to get them to vote for him just like we were for Hillary? <laughs> We were so, I mean, the Democrat, I don't even say we, because I, I was so jaded and borderline nihilist after the primary that I left, I just registered as an independent and I haven't even bothered 
looking at. I was actually registered as a Republican for all of 2016 because uh, um, because Barack Obama did that video for BuzzFeed where he used a selfie stick and I, as a joke, (laughs) changed my party registration. And then, like, I also put a thing in my phone. I was like, as a joke, I was like, uh, oh, like because Obama did this, I'm going to do like the max donation to the next Republican candidate. And then that reminder came up in my phone, and I was like. I don't think I'm going to actually end up doing this bit now. <laughs> Dude, you got to commit. You got to commit to the bit. Man. Stick to the bit. It's all going on the internet forever. No pressure. Uh, uh, yeah. All right. So speaking about um, Bernie Bros, I don't know why we're still speaking about Bernie Bros. Yeah, a <laughs> fucking I, year I, and a half later. But apparently Hillary Clinton wants to talk about the Bernie Bros with <sighs> her excerpts from um, What Happened. And uh, I'm sure everybody's seen it. I don't think we need to do a dramatic reading or anything. No, let's let's not. No, I, I, the, <laughs> the only reading, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do this to myself. The only reading of what happened to listen to is the audiobook read by Hillary Clinton herself. Is she going to do it? Well, I mean that the excerpt that they were playing like on the news had her reading it, so I oh, assume no, that she really? did the whole thing. So I'm I, I think that I'm going to stare so deep into the abyss on this one. I'm going to wade into hell uh, and actually listen to <laughs> the entire think? what happened so, audiobook by Hillary Clinton. Don't do or it, Jack. Peter Just Dow. Just I'm like, gonna do it. I have to do it. <laughs> Just let Kate Reese books read this for us. Okay, she's <laughs> yeah. gonna be doing it. Everybody follow Kate Reese books. She's gonna yeah, be she's a great. guest on the show. So she's awesome. Donate to her Patreon. Uh, she reads those terrible books, so we don't have to. But I do. <laughs> I, I, I do want to point out from the basically the excerpts that have come out are her kind of trash and Bernie Sanders. But yeah. like, what really bothers me about it is like she doesn't trash Bernie Sanders like another fellow rival politician would. She basically sounds like her worst supporters online, which right. is the same shit Trump does. She basic she actually uses the phrase Bernie Bros. She, she uses makes, Bernie Bro, yeah. Yeah, she makes up shit about uh them using uh Sanders supporters using the hashtag witch Hillary, like witch and warlock Hillary. <laughs> she heavily yeah. Yeah, when when what really happened was uh, Sanders, uh, a Black Lives Matter supporter, uh, a young woman who went to her fundraiser, started the hashtag which, as in uh, uh, which Hillary is it that we're getting because in the past she's talked about Super Brothers, but now she's our woke uh, auntie, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and she kind of. That's wrong. She was an abuela, actually. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for erasing her identity. But Hillary, <laughs> but Hillary Clinton, like, erased that in order to make, in order to put forth, you know, maybe the, like, the worst type of take on Bernie Sanders that she might get from one of her shittiest, uh, posters, which I think is stealing a move from Trump, which is, you know, also very unfair of her. <laughs> well, she's clearly trying to paint Bernie Sanders as a con artist, which yeah. is really, really like fucked up. Like she, she does the whole five minute. She makes a five minute abs comparison. Which, by the way, I, I like that the five minute abs thing is in the book because that's also in Shattered. It's so funny that like when Shattered came out, all the staffers released like pictures of them like having fun together and shit to try to like disprove Shattered. But then Hillary is like confirming shattered in her book like the the exact same anecdotes are in both and the shit about the pony like yeah. i'm sure we all heard oh, uh, oh yeah ugh. universal healthcare is just giving away ponies and and like if you're an extremely online hillary supporter one of the eight percent furious at bernie sanders that makes sense but to 
literally anyone else, you sound completely ridiculous to the point where even Stephen Colbert today has released a video of, um, uh, did you guys see this? Yeah. It's like he's, he's, ha he's having Bernie Sanders on tomorrow. And so as a preview, he has all these posters of like Bernie Sanders with a picture of a pony saying Bernie Sanders 2020, <laughs> bring us ponies. So like if you've lost, if Stephen Colbert thinks you're being ridiculous, like you are being ridiculous. Yeah. Like yeah. you've lost. I think at this point um, – She's going on the cold no, there though, right? Well, I, I, what I want at this point is for us to actually get ponies now. Yeah. Like now I want that to be part well, – They're uh, each, what, 4500 bucks? Yeah. Give each of us a pony. <laughs> that, I actually want a pony and a rainbow now. <laughs> Make yeah, it 40 acres and a pony. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bree, what, what do you think about the, um, the excerpts that you've seen so far? I mean, I think that she told on herself. I think the pony, mm. the pony excerpt in particularly, in particular, centered exactly the kinds of complaints that everybody's been lobbying toward her, which is that she sees as a far-fetched impracticality and as something that is um, fr almost frivolous what is core and central to what has motivated a lot of people to go to the polls and what has motivated a lot of people to rally behind Bernie with the fervor that they have. And it's really actually just kind of depressing that after all of this time, nothing has sunken in enough to even al allow her to have the self-consciousness and self-awareness to realize how poorly that anecdote was going to land. And it doesn't give me a lot of hope, frankly, for the party being able to morph itself into something reasonable going forward. Wow. So yeah, like why did she write this book and why did she write it this way? I almost feel like I I I I credit her credited her more than I think that I should have. I thought a lot of like the the memes about her sulking in the forest and being petty and all of that were like just people enjoying, you know, the kind of shot and fraud of it all. And I, I you know, I'm I was I'm almost disappointed in myself for believing that she had more kind of personal integrity than this book has revealed that she actually has. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know what to do. I, she, she, she says at the end of one of those passages, you know, I'm, I'm proud to be a Democrat and I'm just disappointed that Bernie doesn't feel the same way. You know, I, I'm that, like, <laughs> why would anybody be proud to be a Democrat? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for real. But like, I, I am disappointed Gosh. that this is who, as, as a woman who is our representative states person, <laughs> Like, I just, I'm disappointed that she could have gotten to her age and her uh, level of accomplishment in this world and still have so little self-awareness and still be so petty and immature as to be able to fix her fingers to write a sentence like that. Well, to be totally fair, like, it was probably written by Philippe Rains while she's, like, bedridden with an IV drip. <laughs> she's not doing well. I mean, she's like, I, I can't even imagine, like... How you can just? I'm still baffled. A year and a uh, almost a year later, how this got so fucked up so fast. I mean, I I actually personally think it's kind of cool, you know, that uh, um, you know, since she's become an activist, she's just done a paid book tour. Uh, <laughs> well, she launched and Verit. Verit. <laughs> yeah, that's been incredible. By the way, yeah, go ahead. By the way, we I still can't figure out like, do you get your own Verit page? Is there like a social media component? Yeah. No, the <laughs> Hillary said like Verit? go sign up at Verit, and you can't sign up There's at no Verit. Sign up. <laughs> it's just it's just screenshots. Yeah, uh, I love Verit. Peter Dow. <laughs> Everyone talks about him, but it's all true. So, are you going to read this book? You think you think you're going to read uh, what happened? 
If I did it, what is it called? It's called What Happened, right? <laughs> if I did it, here's how it would have happened. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think so. I think the same way that Sh- there were so many thing pieces on Shattered that it didn't feel necessary to actually read the book. I anticipate it being the same. I, there's too many things in the world to read. I think I think I'm going to read – I think I'm only going to read books about the 2016 election <laughs> for the rest of my life. I don't think I'll read a book about any other topic You probably ever. won't run out. You won't run out. You won't run out. <laughs> no. I mean I wonder is there's going to be like eventually like a, a – like you just get like a bachelor's program in 2016. <laughs> uh, I think I think it's possible that this book the uh, is going to be kind of like the Necronomicon and that will like drive – can drive you mad to read it. I, I truly think that my blood pressure will probably never be as high as the time I will spend reading this book. I mean, honestly, if you had like a Ryan, like an American horror story with like the election and like Cthulhu, it would have been like fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah. But instead, Ryan Murphy made it like with the dumb cult and clowns and like a bunch of Jill Stein jokes. It's I mean, I, had, I, I didn't watch it yet, but it is bad, bizarre that they're uh, uh, clowning on Jill Stein. Uh, are they, uh, after are they all this really? Time. You yeah, can't yeah. get over it. Democrats still think it's Jill Stein's fault. Yeah, so I guess president. I guess the new American horror story is it called Cult? It's called Cult. Yeah, um, it takes place like during the election, and it shows them like watching the election results. And I guess Sarah Paulson's character voted for Jill Stein. Um, and so I I, I haven't watched this, I haven't watched the show yet. I don't know if this is accurate, but I believe the plot of this season is a woman is haunted because she voted for Jill Stein. Yeah, that's like her. <laughs> Her whole that thing makes, is like it's her. That makes two of us. This was this, this season was written by Mir Tandon, <laughs> along with a Teen Vogue article. Mir um, is getting around. All right, blocked so, Leslie. <laughs> yeah, she finally blocked me. I feel so bummed out about that. I'm so sad. I miss. Yeah, it. I, I think you're right though that it was me that did it. I like said that she dunked on you, and then she blocked you. Yeah, well, it's, it's she doesn't mind arguing, but when, when anybody else like goes like, "Hey, you you beat her." That's when she gets mad. <laughs> yeah, that's so petty. Yeah, I know she but, would have been the chief of staff. Just I sometimes think it, about, dude. It's so funny. She would have been the chief of staff. Peter Dow definitely would have worked in the White House. Yeah, Peter Dow would have been like a like I don't know who would his equivalent be. Like like I guess he would have been like the Gorka. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Peter, I mean, honestly, it's like Hillary it's, White such, House. it's such an easy one to one comparison. Yeah, like, Dow is Gorka. Gorka and Peter Dow. Tandon, Tandon is uh, what I mean. What wow. this, yeah. I think I just found the topic for my for a very long fan fiction series. <laughs> there, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, so that's kind of what I noticed. Like with all this post-election like all the creeps and weirdos and losers and petty jerks that trump has assembled hillary had them too and we would be almost talking about the exact same shit it's just the names would have changed it would have been it would have been uh peter dow instead of you know banning or gorka it would have been steven uh steven wiener uh, instead of you know what's his face the guy who got mad because oh the guy who was oh. like denying the Holocaust at the or whatever. Oh, 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 oh! The Holocaust denier and the wait, who was the Holocaust? Denier I don't know. I don't know the Holocaust denier. I, I, I forget which one. The uh, the guy who was like, oh, that the guy who said that. Well, even Hitler didn't gas. Uh, oh, fucking Sean Spicer, right? Yeah, yeah. That, was yeah. Boy, that was our boy Spicy. Yeah, yeah. He got to meet everyone. I like how centrists are happy he got to meet the Pope. Like everyone's like centrists, like oh. Well, Sean Spicer's in the resistance now. We can forgive him. He got to meet the Pope. Like if I was the Pope, I would have been like, "Fuck off, fuck off, Spicer. Go back to yelling at Dippin' Dots."
Speaking of peering into the dark Lovecraftian abyss, um, <laughs> Ta-Nehisi Coates wrote a new article today. See, Jack and I are too scared to make fun of him, so this, yeah. this goes on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, so it's um, 8,000 words long, which is way too long for any pro- article problem. It is an excerpt from a book, to be fair. And the title of the article is The First White President... The foundation, the subtitle. So it's about George Washington? (laughs) Yeah, apparently. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And so it's just, it's a mess. Like he spends almost the the entire time arguing with stuff he said in the past about (laughs) how, you know, white supremacy is a foundational principle of the United States, right? Mm -hmm. So like, and everybody knows this. this is very obvious. Our first presidents plural were slave owners so yeah but his theory in this article suddenly is that donald trump is like the super white he's like mega white (laughs) like he's white he's white supremacy on steroids and we've never seen anything like this and this only happened because barack obama was just so special and black that the reaction had to be you know this new more you know stringent form of white supremacy and it's obviously ridiculous right because yeah, he, yeah. Makes, he makes trump sound like the sentinel or something like that <laughs> like he turns also and- also given uh the candidates we had in 2016 i'm pretty sure the president was going to be white after yeah. Barack obama <laughs> the president was going to be unless a- ben carson <laughs> had done better yeah, the president was going to be a white supremacist, whether um, <laughs> Hillary won or Trump won, which uh, I don't think Ta- Ta-Nehisi doesn't really wrestle with, even though he's criticized the Clintons in the past. He doesn't really acknowledge the fact that even if Hillary won, white supremacy would still be the law of the land. Um, hmm. So I was just wondering, Bree, what were your thoughts on it? Because uh, you told me you had a lot. Yeah, this was incredibly frustrating because, you know, he, he makes a lot of like very basic historical points, which obviously you can't really disagree with, you know, in terms of the foundation of our country on white supremacy, um, kind of the way that race functioned to separate the black working, you know, black slave slaves and later black working class from the white working class, you know, things that are just basic truisms but then he manipulates that to make into an argument for why economic arguments are justified in being poo-pooed so he does this thing again where he sets up this straw man where to want to pursue an economic route to try to um you know, uh, mitigate, you know, uh, racial harms, you know, dis- disproportionate harms that people of color face in America is to want to ignore or fail to acknowledge the fact that race plays a role at all. Right. So, of course, you can like shut you can. It, it's like he sets it up to knock it down. He says, well, of course, mm-hmm. you know, of course, of course, race is a factor. And anybody who denies race is a factor is an idiot. And therefore, an economic justice argument doesn't fly but like if we broke up the banks would that end racism exactly. this, this, this whole article is basically that um so like he he goes into this at one point i i lost it i was reading this on my way home in the subway he's he like he basically says that he lumps uh bernie sanders and bill clinton together uh into an argument <laughs> for uh wait a minute I'm sorry, I shouldn't be flipping through this. I did this once in an episode of my podcast, and the whole thing was just like rustling paper. Um, <laughs> oh, no, we, we have it edit, so no worries, no worries. Yeah. Yeah. And we have pop filters now. Yeah, oh, we, cool. we've really come a long way. 
since last week. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Um, but he says, uh, this notion, raceless anti-racism, mar- marks the modern left from the new Democrat Bill Clinton to the socialist Bill uh, Bernie Sanders. And then he, he <sighs> next paragraph, <sighs> he says that it's, it's Hillary Clinton, of all people, is the one person who has, quote, acknowledged the existence of systemic racism more explicitly than any uh, of her modern Democratic pre- predecessors. Yes, like especially when they. <laughs> what the fuck is the point of this? That's like that's like that's kind of how I, I kept felt. writing. I kept writing and exclamation part and, and exclamation yeah. point. Like yeah. so, so, so yes, like economic anxiety alone doesn't justify why all these people you know did X Y and Z. Of course, a lot of these poor whites are racist, but that doesn't yes, it, yeah. that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to reach out to them. It doesn't mean that those same poor racist whites weren't didn't comprise districts that voted once or twice for Obama and then swung for Trump. Like let's well, let's just allow that everybody is racist. And now yeah. and now and now what? <laughs> yeah, so what are we supposed to do? Yeah, how, how do we win elections? Okay, we, now we'll we'll say that you're right. Well, uh, like austerity. every every like almost everyone in America is racist. We still need to win. Yeah. Well, it's right. not only just about winning, it's that you can't cure racism with austerity. It's an it's absurd. Right. It's like, well, these people are bigots, so let's starve them to death. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or yes. uh, I I don't understand how that how that does anything but make them more racist. Yeah. yeah. I want back I want back up because this is like a lie that I know Ta-Nehisi knows. Is it true? Because he actually, he sets it up and then disagrees with it, then goes back to it in the article. But like, white supremacists, poor white supremacists did not elect Donald Trump, right? Exactly. Poor racists did not elect Donald right. Trump. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't even like, you know, rich racists elected Donald Trump. It was the no, same it's... people who voted for Mitt Romney. It was the same the suburbs. people. Exactly. It was the same people. But it, it was the same people who vote for McCain. It was the same people who would vote for you know a dirty sock if he was on the ticket. <laughs> it was uh, Republican. Republicans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Repu- There's a word for these people. It's yeah. Republicans. Uh, amazingly enough, Republicans <laughs> will vote for Republicans even if they're <laughs> shitty, right? So there's there's. I, I'm familiar so- with that actually too, <laughs> as yeah. a Democrat. Yeah. So there's only so much you can say yeah. about the ideology. Of these people based on their vote because it's a two party system and Republicans vote for Republicans and Democrats vote for Democrats. And, uh, Donald Trump actually lost a lot of Republican voters and gained a number of voters who voted for Barack Obama. Exactly. So I don't, I don't know how you look at that and then make a, write a 9,000 word article about how Trump's victory is the final ultimate victory of this, uh, Lovecraftian eldritch white supremacy (laughs) when it's like you know by all accounts Mitt Romney would have been that even more so except Barack Obama was actually you know campaigned in Wisconsin and so he got more votes (laughs) Romney made like an ad when he was running about purifying America like it was like the oceans are filled with filth and pornography filled with sodomy and interracial marriage we have to clean it all it was like it was horrifying I, I mean, I, I ultimately with this piece, I, I think Tanisa Goetz is like a, a good writer. He can, he, he puts together it's like vivid and, and, you know, descriptive sentences yeah. and everything like that. But I, I ultimately feel like I'm like, what is the point of this? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't like any take that, uh, distances Trump's presidency from every other presidency yeah, in history. Right. Like, and I actually think that that's like kind of a dangerous thing to do to like make this claim that, uh, Trump is in some way like uniquely evil or uniquely bad because uh, I don't know. Then we'll just get some other piece of shit in there and but no one will 
be paying any attention to it because he's not as like mean and nasty uh, uh, with the things he says. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think it's a very good take, and it, it ultimately to me feels like it's just something for. Yeah, it feels like this is something for like white people to read and be comforted by. Is what I, what yeah, I almost took away from. Ironic because that's, that's what he says at the whole point of 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 us pretending like he puts this on us right that we're not doing this at all but of us saying that it's all on the white working class and that the white working class are absolved because they're just good hardworking people and yada 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 he says that the reason that we try to mythologize the white working class as not really racist is because we we being white people <laughs> want to <laughs> you know the, want the, to we in the me and JDB sense yeah, Jack and I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that we want to distance ourselves as like good white people from those bad horrible Mountain Dew drinking white people right right but that's yes, and I also think it, it what is, he's doing by saying that Donald yes. Trump is somehow you know a, a unique phenomenon right and also like it, it discounts like the effects that every that almost every president has had to like yeah. decimate the black community you know what I mean yeah. like just because this guy like I don't know uh, Trump is obviously terrible but so the fuck was Reagan like so was right. Bill Clinton like well, so right. was nearly every president and it's, also like to paint Trump as anything but the natural end point of the last like half of uh, you know the last 50 years of Republican politics is to really do yourself a disservice and just leave an opening for like an even if an even worse Trump someone right. who's maybe so, like actually smart uh, and yeah. into white supremacy. Well, and what's bizarre to me is it also feeds into the whole, like, miss me, I'm George W. Bush. I hate that shit so <laughs> like, much. That, that's the shit that drives me the worst. Like, not only... No, are- I don't fucking miss you, George <laughs> W. I don't. I want you to be on in the fucking Hague, man. Like, I, I, like, you and Carl Rove should be lined up against the wall. Like, yeah. you monsters. I saw this thing getting passed around this week and it pissed me off. Uh, uh, that was like an old debate uh, uh, from the 80s, from 1980. It was uh, it was a debate between Reagan and George Bush yeah, Senior, and people yeah, and people were passing around being like, look at like such a, a you know uh, look at how reasonable the Republican Party used to be, and I'm like that's just because like immigration at that moment was the thing that they had to pretend to be reasonable about. I'm sure in that very same debate they talked about the war on drugs or some bullshit like you know I don't know like just because these guys used to know to not say these things out loud doesn't make them like better people or make the party any less. Uh, uh, insidious and evil. I mean, I really feel like these guys, like the the old school mainstream never Trumpers and the neo libs and whatever's left of the neocons, like they're all they're all done. They're done. And it, and it's this weird thing where it's like I do think like the next <laughs> twenty years is going to be socialists versus Nazis. I kind of do too, to be honest with you. <laughs> and um, like so, I feel Bri- like we're- so so Bree, what do you think? Do you uh, what do you think is the future of this? So and yeah, where, what? where does this go? Yeah, my my con- at first my thought was okay. I had this kind of sick optimism. I you know this I call it the Susan Sarandon argument, <laughs> where <laughs> you know where where it's like okay, everything's so explicit now. Now finally, everybody's going to see what Black people have been saying for a long time, right? Everybody's feeling the pressure of what it feels like. like what what was once dog whistles, and and everybody would would say to us, "Oh, you're being dramatic. That's not really racial racial code language." Blah blah. Now it's all explicit, right? So we're all kind of in the same boat together, and at least now they're woke to the problem. But now when I see the liberals' reaction to the explicit racism, it's such a, oh, it's a hands-off attitude, right? Like, these people are so deplorable. These people are so irredeemable that I don't even want it, 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 to, to want to communicate with them as a, for, through, you know, for electoral politics reasons. You know, to want to just convince them to vote for your guy is to basically say you're casting your lot with them and that you are a racist by association, right? So then mm-hmm. you have people 
just throwing their hands up in the air and saying they're not even going to try to engage and try to get voters. So I, I honestly don't see unless, you know, the Democrats expect some kind of population bloom of brown people. I, I, I don't I don't know where this is going since we're in a world where people are fundamentally unwilling to engage seriously with an economic justice argument. Well, at least the 8% or like some, some, you know, slice of people are unwilling to engage and people aren't even willing to talk to people who are ideologically opposed to them. And no, 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 bring it out. You're getting dangerously close to being <laughs> a Nazi sympathizer. <laughs> no, no non Nazi sympathizing on this podcast, no, but, please. But, but I, I do, I do think that like, look, I mean, we've, 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 we've talked about this a few times, but like the centrists, like, I mean, you had, you had a lot of crazy shit happening during the last few years of the Obama administration. That, and I feel that the, the media, Sort of goaded on the 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 rise of the alt right, not yeah, just through, yeah. So Brie, Hillary's speech, yes, because Bree, you taught you mentioned this in the DM, like getting white people to think about their identity doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to think their identity is bad, right? Yeah, they're going to think about think about their identity and make mm, maybe being white is really important to me, and I should fight for this. So, could you expand your kind of thoughts on? I, how identity politics works for white people and how do we bring them back from, you know, you know, thinking that white is right now? Yeah, I, I think a lot about this because I got to confess, I was that person who was all about talking about someone so is problematic and white explaining and mansplaining. And I think those terms are real and the, and the, the phenomena described are, are real and, and, and they, they existed, but I'm thinking in terms of utility at this point because we're in a crisis situation. And yeah. I don't have the luxury of saying, well, it is true. That guy mansplained to me and therefore I'm going to call it like it is. If, if my goal is to get that person to understand what I'm saying and to change his behavior and to more importantly vote for my candidate so I don't have my reproductive rights stri- stripped away, then maybe I shouldn't antag- you know, use language that he perceives to be antagonizing. And, and, to, and to, to make the argument that we should at all adjust our language or or to think about how we can pitch ourselves in a way that it's appealing is always characterized by the center as saying we're abandoning our base, that we're abandoning people of color and gay people and all of our other mm-hmm. marginalized groups. And I think that that is overly pessimistic and it's selling Democrats short. I, I wrote an article about this um, I think it was, I don't remember where, I think it was Progressive Army. It basically makes this case that it's like, it, it, who, whose interest is served by making us believe that we cannot talk to white people? Like, to, 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 sorry, not, uh, not all white people. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's so funny. In this, in this article, Coates makes this argument. He spends pages and pages arguing that race was used to divide the poor working class, uh, p- slaves rather, from the white working, white poor, right? Back in, mm-hmm. you know, the 18th, 19th century, what have you. And then it turns around and, and the an- seems to think that the answer is like more race. Let's talk about race <laughs> more. Like let's just double down and hit them over the head with some more race talk. Now, I, I obviously see the value of race talk. I think that people should continue to, you know, can be race studies majors and, and unpack privileged knapsacks and all of that stuff. But save that stuff for the choir. When we're talking about how to talk to <laughs> – the working class right. whites, rich whites, Preach. all the crazy racist ass whites that are voting for <laughs> Trump, we have to appeal to something other than sympathy for black people because sympathy for black people is what sends them, you know, 
compassion for black people, the idea of a black person on welfare is what sends them running into the arms of Donald Trump. Oh, well, preach. that's a scary that, thing. That's huh? that was, how, yeah, that's it good. really is. That's good shit. <laughs> yeah. I also I need to take a breath. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is my next current affairs article, by the way, out in the uh, <laughs> September, October issue. <laughs> Very cool. Bree, I, I also feel like centrists have deliberately blurred the line between ignorant racists and actually bigoted, like, full-on, like, neo-Nazi skinhead clan member racist like i feel there are two kinds of racist one that comes from not understanding the way that the world works not understanding how race in this country works not yeah. understanding history not understanding social cues yeah. versus mm-hmm. like i don't like these people i hate right. these people and, and active versus passive pa- well passive racism it's like the kind of racism where it's like in the 90s you know, my grandparents were like, we, we can't go to this movie theater because there was a stabbing here three months ago <laughs> from a gang. And like, I we're still scared <laughs> versus, you know, it's like the same. The passive racism is, is the kind that a lot of liberals and cities are very guilty of. Yeah, yeah. that's the, that's another thing. Like when you're with, with Coates' article, like undercurrent uh, under of that is like, well, liberal whites aren't a problem and aren't racist like mm-hmm. they're racist in the exact same ways that most uh you know uh conservatives are like that's a, that's another issue where you know talking about identity politics in a term explicitly made to help democrats you know appear woke does mm-hmm. a disservice to black people because you're erasing like 50% of the racism they have to deal yeah. with. Do you remember that poll right. that everybody was circulating with so much enthusiasm, um, I guess probably like last summer, that showed that you know something like 35% of Trump voters think that black people are intellectually inferior and lazy and all this kind of stuff? Th- that, yeah. That, yeah. that same poll, that, that nobody cited the parts that said, you know, 26% of Hillary voters think the exact <laughs> same thing. Right. So, yeah. so yeah, more Trump voters, like 35% to 25%, whatever it was, thought the black people were, you know, subhuman or what have you. But like, I'm not exactly <laughs> thrilled about the 25% of Hillary voters that think we are the 4%. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know I mean? like, uh, come on, that's only, that's only one in four people. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know I mean? like, so, so if the argument is we can't talk to racists and racists are irredeemable, then the Democrats have to let go of a huge hunk of their own constituency. See, but it's, or become more racist. It's, it's not racist to shut down a factory that employs, you know, thousands of black and brown people. But it is like, you know, we we. It's like it's almost like a Disney version of racism that we want to combat, where it's like people just like openly walking around the streets with clan hoods on, <laughs> and that's just like not that common right now. Racism is it, it's built in, right? And it's and it's it's fucked up because a lot of it is rooted into. You know, our own histories and a lot of us have, I'm sure, every every culture has its own story of being oppressed and it's always used to justify then shitting on somebody else. Yeah. And what's the disappointing yeah, thank is that you, you- Thank you, capitalism. <laughs> yeah. And, it's, and it makes a shitload of people money. Uh, oh, go ahead, you f- Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say that it's disappointing because you know that Todd Nisi understands this. And that's part of what the power of his reparations uh, article was, is that he was able to make clear to so many you know, well-meaning whites that might not have understood before how our racial history has like, ju- you know, 
it's our racial history that put us in this place. You know, that the reparations argument isn't coming out of nowhere. It's programs that continued in, well into the modern era that got us here. And that racism isn't, you know, some man in a clan hood in or, you know, in khakis and dockers in Charleston. Um, you know, it's, it's these systemic pervasive things. And he gives nods to that in the article. And then completely lies, lays it at the feet of this like monstrous version of the singularly bad man named Donald Trump. Well, good thing is, is that we, when Donald Trump uh, leaves the office, racism will be over. Yeah. So that's good. Uh, yeah. uh, it's weird how racism ends whenever Democrats take power. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's let's move on some uh, fun stuff. Uh, so yes. we are we are a pop culture podcast, and I think one of the hottest things in pop culture right now is um, HBO's new uh, softcore uh, porn series, Insecure. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's it's from the long lineage of uh, HBO's softcore porn uh, uh, mumblecore shows, like <laughs> Girls, and uh, I guess Entourage is really what started this whole thing off. Uh, so yeah, I guess I would say that Girls and Insecure are both spinoffs of Entourage. <laughs> Hot take. <laughs> All right, so so Bree, um, I I haven't seen a lot of the show, but there was an incident that got a lot of people talking, and you know we thought it would be great for you to you know talk about it, you know. So you bring the woman on the the show to talk about getting a face shot, huh? <laughs> yeah, look, we respect women. We 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 would never ever deign to talk about anything sexual <laughs> while having a woman on to keep us, you know, to keep us on. Larry Wilmore was in the room when they pitched that scene. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what you guys are talking about, what happened in the, uh, the second to last episode was that Issa Rae, after going to like a sex workshop for fun with her girlfriends and talking about blowjobs um, and how she finds them to be distasteful um, and all but one of the member of the member of their friend group agrees with her uh, so so there's one woman who is into blowjobs Issa is adamantly against them uh, and another woman says she'll basically reciprocate if a guy goes down on her but otherwise isn't interested right and they have this conversation about how black women allegedly don't like to give head. Issa goes home and hooks up with this guy she's been seeing, decides to try it out, goes down on him because she's, in, you know, in her quote unquote hoe phase and is mortally offended when he comes <laughs> in her face. <laughs> like, like, it's a funny scene. Like she's, sh- she's shocked that that is a thing that a penis can do. <laughs> what amazes me is that like, it wasn't like hidden at all. It was like a straight up like shot. Yeah. Like you see, you see the liquid, it goes in her face, like it smashes her face. Like that is no, on no film. No ads. <laughs> Forever. And like, that's what they went with. I'm like, I was shocked that even HBO would go like that far. Come is in now. Like come, there was come on girls. There was I think there was come on Rome. Hey, there like, was there was definitely come on Rome. There was come in Hillary Clinton's favorite movie. There's something about Mary. That's true. <laughs> ben Stiller puts in his ear. I, is that the first? Is that the first uh, non-porn film appearance of come? No way. No way. There's got to be in like some seventies French film. Yeah, I guess where, you're like, right. I guess you're right. Yeah, 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 I guess hands. I meant in like mainstream American films. 
I don't know. I, I guarantee you, like, someone has it somewhere. Like, where was Cum first? And, yeah. This we'll is the History up. of Cum podcast. Uh, <laughs> is your host? H-O-C. Is there a Mr. Skin for uh, when Cum has appeared? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what, so, what, why, so I feel like my brother was actually, my brother talked to me about this, and he's, he was very upset about this. Like, why is this show that's, you know, start off, because, the, like, the original thing was like the awkward black girl chronicles yeah. or something was right. right like how do you get from that to like full-on cum shots like i'm just curious <laughs> about the journey I, hollywood i loved misadventures of an awkward black girl it was messy and it was like you know not refined and all of that it was a youtube show but what resonated for me was the kind of relative normalcy of this character because you don't get to see just regular black women messing up having you know awkward encounters at work figuring out their love life just being regular people that are informed by their blackness but that aren't you know you know every every action that they take on the show isn't controlled by the specter of their blackness right and that was what was so special about it in this show she seems to have a lot more of her shit together she had a boyfriend through the whole first season she you know it's a lot she, more. She blew it though. She, I mean, that's. Are, so are you saying you're Team Lawrence? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's like she, she was not. It's like I, the way that she, she did, she did him wrong. You know, very. I don't know. It's not that he was a good guy. It's that. I don't know. I'd feel really bad if I was cheated I on. I mean, she cheated on him. <laughs> <laughs> I just felt bad. I mean, that was, that was wrong, but I feel like the first season suffered from some bad writing because it, it wasn't clear to me as a viewer how bad I was really supposed to feel about Lawrence. Like, was he on her couch for four years, unemployed, not trying to work at all, and she, you know, was pretty darn patient or was he you know working on an app and she needed to be more supportive and it was you know he really has the possibility to make it big and we didn't even know if Boy, he was hold like, up like, he <laughs> might have been a dirtbag leftist you know just yeah, you know, my, yeah. yeah being crushed by capitalism <laughs> yeah what's wrong with trying to never work <laughs> I mean, if, if that's if that's the agreement the two of you have, and that's that. But you know, the the writing <laughs> the writing of the show is that like he was one person when he started dating her. He kind of shirked the, his responsibilities and seems not to have a lot of ambition or you know motivation, political or otherwise. And it you know I it wasn't clear whether or not like even is he someone who even knows how to write computer programs is he just a complete flake who like is just has this true. type dream is he sitting there on his couch saying i want to be the next mariah carey and it's completely implausible or is he a guy who like got a cs degree and just has fallen on hard times and just needs a little bit of support like the writing didn't tell us that so i didn't really know how to feel i mean i know cheating is bad but i didn't really know whether to mourn the loss of lawrence or not at the end of season one mm. yeah i don't know i mean it, it was a tough call for me mainly because like i'm I'm pretty much that guy. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but La- Lawrence didn't even have a successful podcast, so. That's true. We have a very successful podcast. We do? And you do, too. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We made it. You want, uh, We were talking before the podcast about Game of Thrones a little bit. Uh, How would you like the new season? I very much enjoyed it. I particularly enjoyed the second to last episode. Are we just, like, embracing spoilers and what have you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. It. Okay. Um. I'm. I'm all about it. I'm all about kind of the strength and prominence of a lot of these female characters. However, um, I do not enjoy Jon Snow's character kind of generally, and I'm, <laughs> I'm frustrated 
by what you know has you know been all but a fait accompli, which is him finally hooking up with Daenerys. Jon Snow is basically. Uh, uh, I think Jon Snow reminds me a lot of the character Zoolander. <laughs> <I feel like. laughs> he does pull a lot of his faces. Yeah, he's just this guy, kind of like making faces and looking pouty uh, near the snow. I guess. I like Jon Snow because he feels like an RPG character, like a Korean character. <laughs> like he's just, yeah. you know, this kind of this blank guy who doesn't really talk a lot. And that's why it kind of <laughs> frustrates me when he does dumb shit in the show because I'm like, I would never take that prompt in the game, you know? I would, I would do the other shit. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, yeah, he is basically like Chrono or something. Yeah. <laughs> his brothers were all just so much more handsome and charismatic and intense. No, remember that? What was the, the one brother that was, you know, married to the French woman? That sexy French pregnant woman uh, who got stabbed? Rob Stark. The, yes. I mean, like, he was so intense. And then John yeah. is just like, he, he's my least favorite male character on the show. And then Daenerys, I love the idea of her. But I, you know, and I love, and I think Emil Clark is like a fine person and I enjoy her in other sure. things. But I find her to be miscast. I want her to be taller and stronger and bolder and yeah. more warrior. Like, like I never understood why Cal Drogo would even be interested in her. She's like a little imp. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, no shade to Tyrion with that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, Cal Drogo would probably be really into Tyrion, probably. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I think that Tyrion has been really, you know, like in the first couple of seasons, all we did was get to see him slay the ladies. He had this reputation for being the king of the whorehouse. And I was really hoping against hopes that it was going to be him, he, like Tyrion and Daenerys together. There's still there's still time, yeah, but uh, not much. And, and, George and maybe- R. R. Martin's about to eat his last hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> and but but you know uh, if Benioff and Weiss listen to this podcast, they'll probably just do it since they're now just trying to do everything any fan has ever wanted. They're just like <laughs> literally trying to write a laundry list of everything everyone's wanted to see. So and if you can't get them in, then like every character from Game of Thrones will show up in Confederate. So don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I can't wait. Oh, that's a whole nother one. I, I took some heat for being being hashtag pro Confederate. The show. Oh, so you were you were you were pro Confederate? Like I was like pro. Um, shut up about it. If if unless you're going to boycott Game of Thrones, you really don't have a leg to stand on demanding that Confederate get shut down. I yeah. just thought it was I thought it was so funny that them thrones and cancel confederate were trending at the same time it's like you gotta pick one fam i'm sorry yeah, yeah it, was, it was just so premature i i mean like the idea that you could kind of bully uh benioff and weiss into making the dream show of your choice which also features a bunch of black actors and like black interests and that they're not going to just turn around and go and make another like togetherness or some other show about white people raising children in the suburbs <laughs> togetherness in the modern confederate I mean, would be an awesome spinoff. <laughs> it is. It, it is funny. Like if they did get Confederacy canceled, and Benioff and Weiss are just like, okay, friends from college. Here it is. <laughs> two, two, two slave owners in Eagle Rock struggling oh, with their record label. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't think the show is going to probably be good. I don't think Benioff and Weiss are that good, but I, I do agree that, like, you know, uh, what's the point? Like, yeah. I mean, and also, what's the end game here? Like. Well, it's like the, no, that the, uh, Leslie's right. It's like if you don't want to support them financially, just cancel HBO. It's yeah. like I don't even know how much longer I'm going to be able to pay for net. I mean, 
I'm, might encourage my parents to cancel Netflix is what I'm saying. It's, it's getting bad. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I like that you decided to be honest mid sentence. <laughs> um, so, uh, 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 what what else do you watch? Uh, I watch. I did watch Friends from College. I have to confess. Uh, because is I, it any good? I mean, I, I guess I just plucked it sort Harvard. of unfairly. No, it's, as it's like, terrible. It's really, really bad. I, Harvard. I, yeah, I watched it because I, you know, I went to Harvard undergrad, and I like I had. To, I mean, like, I had to. Like, I have a very close group of friends. <laughs> look, look. Okay, so here's 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 what it is. Harvard has a system of rooming people together, where you're called like a blocking group, and so it kind of sets you up with this pseudo family that you move through college and then if you know through life with. So the concept that like of seeing what our blocking group would be like you know, another seven years or so down the line, you know, there's a nostalgia factor. Okay. Like I admit it, but it was, it it took all of the magic of what it's like to grow older with the people that you knew when you were a kid and completely replaced it with tired sitcom tropes about, Oh, I'm in an unhappy marriage and I'm cheating on my wife with my friend from college. Mm. Oh, like I was really uninterested in it because I don't view people who graduate from Harvard as people, and now I feel really (laughs) awkward um, having you. Yeah, I was going to talk a lot of shit about Harvard. (laughs) (laughs) What what year did you graduate uh, Harvard? Uh, Oh, we're going to do the Simpsons. (laughs) Yeah, I have a theory. I have a theory, but I I I don't want to be mean. But what year did you graduate? Oh, seven. Okay, two thousand seven. So I I have this thing. And it won't. It doesn't apply to you because you're great. But <laughs> okay. I, I, I think that seasons of The Simpsons can be viewed as like representative models of uh, uh, of the graduating year of Harvard because so many of those guys, so many of the guys at Simpsons are just you know guys that graduated from Harvard right. or whatever. So let me look at uh, uh, 2007. <laughs> okay, you actually are you're you have a pretty good one. That's The Simpsons movie. So you're, you're <laughs> I like uh, the, uh, Simpsons the Simpsons movie. movie is like one of the like rare spikes. Uh, uh, <laughs> I looked up like I think Matt Iglesias's and his was like season 20 simpsons or something like that so long past the uh long past the uh Lionel so hey you 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 are the one year the one graduating here that is uh good on the simpsons harvard look, scale look i'm here to talk about identity politics and i just don't want you to write me off on the basis of my identity as a graduate of harvard. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> harvard well, that's the thing like the interesting thing about like uh when I saw the announcement for the show, it made a big deal that the writers met at Harvard. It's never we met at college. It's like, I don't know how they got away with calling the show Friends from College and not Friends from Harvard. <laughs> like, they, they, you, you always know when someone goes to Harvard. I'm actually surprised that you did, Bree, because you didn't mention it within five seconds of us talking. <laughs> and I, and I, I tried to get it in there with my Gilmore Girl reference, but you guys, uh, you, you rooms didn't pick it up fast enough. <laughs> I didn't go to Harvard, so I don't. <laughs> I'm not so good at hearing and stuff uh, and listening. <laughs> no, you guys, it's, it's it's a it's a funny um it's a funny thing. There was an article out uh, the last couple of days about nepotism and you know how horrible it is, and you know Harvard is used the example and Jared Kushner and obviously all that crap. Um, and it's funny that those articles, you know, they. They tempt me into getting defensive about it, but I never want to be that person who, like, has actually tried to defend Harvard. But there's this funny thing where it's, like, a lot of these uh, schools that have a lot of money, like, are able to offer more financial aid than schools that are less, quote-unquote, prestigious. Uh, Mm. And so they actually have, like, weirdly more economic diversity. So there is this part of me that's, like, yeah, there are a lot of tool bags at school. Like, absolutely, 100%. let's, Let's laugh at them. But there's also, like, my friend from, like, Trenton, who like went back to be a 
public school teacher at the you know the the horrible you know gun ridden high school that he graduated from. Do you know what I mean? So, right. I, I, so you have yeah. me into being the person who did it's, it. It's not all. It's <laughs> not all just. Uh... Bree, take your headphones off, guys. We gotta cut all that shit out. Nobody's gonna listen to it. If we have anybody defending Harvard on the show, yeah, it'll actually. It's 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 do it, it it's nice uh, to Bree if we cut that out. Because uh, uh... can you just can you guys like use your telepathic signal to tell Conan O'Brien to pay his interns? <laughs> <laughs> this is. I did learn something today though, which is that. There is more to Harvard than future presidents masturbating in coffins. <laughs> I think I took that class um, off my ear. <laughs> um, well, is that the end of our like list of segments? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I... All right. Well, uh, well, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank Bri. you for it's having great. me. This was really fun. You yeah, guys are great. A lot of fun. Yeah, you're great too, and uh, um, and thanks for talking with us here today. Yeah, I gotta get. I will subscribe to your podcast. Yeah, please do. Uh, Thank uh, you. Yeah. So, how can people do that? Um, so you can find it by uh, searching SWOTI on uh, iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud, all those things. S-W-O-T-I. You can also find us. We have a kind of a some popular vlog episodes on um, YouTube. We have an interracial dating segment, which has gone viral because people have a weird obsession with interracial dating, which I have ambivalent feelings about. But it's popular and you should watch it. <laughs> well, what's what's leading to people to a video uh, that has interracial in the title? But why does that one have a lot more views? <laughs> I, I feel, <laughs> I feel as a represent as a member of the Dirt Pad Left podcast, a core. It's very unfair that you and your very handsome co-hosts do so many videos. Like we, the rest of us, we're not nearly hey, as tele- you guys know. <laughs> we're not nearly as telegenic as you two. So I feel like that's like you're using like performance enhancing drugs by doing video. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I definitely am using my very handsome. Co- host is bait i'm not gonna lie about it like 90 percent of our comments are like oh your husband is so hot he's very clearly not my husband he's a gay man and we talk about it a lot on the show <laughs> but it's confusing to folks so i roll with it it's flattering to me to be linked to him so um yeah people can check us out there i'm uh, at Bri joy on twitter um and i also uh write for current affairs and uh sometimes other places paste well, thank you so much for being on with us, Bree. Yeah, really nice to talk to you, and uh, uh, um, and we'll see you around. Yeah. <laughs> also, also, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I guess that's it. I, I never got to make my Vincent Gallo, Chloe Sevigny joke. Oh well, we'll bad. do it another time. Another time. <laughs> we'll, we'll I think it's maybe for the best that you never get to make that. Will we ever make, will we ever talk about blowjobs again? <laughs> I think that we'll probably end up yeah. getting back to that topic. We probably will. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a good night. All right. Bye. Okay. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Struggle Session. Uh, subscribe to us on Patreon. If you'd like to shoot us an email, hit us up at thestrugglesession at gmail.com. We are at strugglesession.us if you'd like to check out our Tumblr. If you would like to follow us on Twitter, not me, but us in general, check out at Struggle Sesh, S-E-S-H. Like what you hear? Want to hear more? Check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or 
or strugglesession.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.